Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 90 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, what was Jesus' last word on the cross before he died, and how does that one word proclaim the best news ever? Oh, happy Lord's Day, friends. If you don't have a streaming church home, and what a hilariously strange thing to say, if you don't have a streaming church home, or if you do, and I guess you want more streaming church, then please allow me to invite you to join our church, Valley Baptist Church in Salinas. You can find us on Facebook for a live stream time of worship, word, and prayer Sunday. Our church is going through the book of Proverbs, and the message is on quarantine wisdom because uh, there's a surprising amount of applicable wisdom in Proverbs for those of us who are quarantined or close to it. So we begin live uh, Sunday morning at 11 a.m., and you are most welcome to join us if you go like our page, VBC Salinas. Just search for V as in Victor, B as in boy, C as in Charlie, VBC Salinas, S-A-L-I-N-A-S. You can find us, all one word, on Facebook. Like the page and you will get notifications when we go live. Come join us or come view it later on. Today's Bible passages include Exodus 40, which is the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle passage, which is a wonderful thing to read on the Lord's Day. We're also going to be reading Proverbs 16, John 19, and Philippians 3, a really, really rich day of feasting on the Word in the New Testament passages in particular. Because I am recording this on a Saturday night, and really it's early Sunday now, it will be shorter than normal podcast, which is normal for Saturday into Sunday, because I want to maintain focus on celebrating the Lord's Day today with the church that I'm pastoring. Our focus today, though, is on the crucifixion of Jesus in John 19. And in this passage, we hear the last word of Jesus, which he said right before he died. Now, even though this happened over 20 years ago, I vividly remember a sermon that our pastor preached on this word when I was in college eons ago, and I vividly remember the word to this day, tetelestai, which simply means it is finished. We're going to focus this podcast on that one beautiful word of Jesus, because it loudly proclaims the good news in and of itself. I very rarely discuss grammar here on the podcast, but this word of Jesus deserves more scrutiny than normal. For one, it's in the perfect tense, which has some important implications according to one of my Greek grammar textbooks. The perfect tense in Greek corresponds to the perfect tense in English, and it describes an action which is viewed as having been completed in the past, once and for all, not needing to be repeated. Jesus' last cry from the cross, Tetelestai, is a good example of the perfect tense used in that sense. Namely, it, the atonement, the death of Jesus, has been accomplished completely, totally, once and for all time. Amen to that. So in further discussing this amazing word, let's start with one uh, old school Baptist, Herschel Hobbes. That'll be the first time we hear from uh, Mr. Hobbes on this show. And then we'll close out with an older school Baptist, Charles Spurgeon, who is absolutely a frequent guest of ours. This is what Mr. Hobbes says. With a clear voice, Jesus uttered one last word from the cross, Tetelestai, John 19.30. The Greek papyri that we have found throw great light on this word. If a promissory note were paid in Greek society, the one holding the note wrote, 
tetelestai across it. A deed to property was not in effect until it was dated and signed. When this was done, the clerk wrote tetelestai across it. Another example of its use was when a father sent his son on a mission. The son was not to return until he had performed the last act of the mission. When he did return from a successful mission, he used tetelestai to report it. What did these meanings say to us? In eternity, the son gave the father a promissory note that he would pay the price for humanity's redemption. See Hebrews 10, 5-7. On Calvary, where Jesus died, the note was paid in full, Tetelestai. The son reported his completed mission to the father, Tetelestai. Perhaps when the waiting hosts in heaven heard of the completed work of Jesus, heaven rang with that same word, Tetelestai. And the father smiled his approval. And now, let's go to some more blessed words from frequent contributor to the show, Charles Spurgeon, who says, In the original Greek of John's Gospel, there is only one word for this utterance of our Lord. To translate it into English, we have to use three words, but when it was spoken, it was only one, an ocean of meaning and a drop of language, a mere drop, for that is all that we can call one word. It is finished. Yet it would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word, to Tetelestai. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. Finished. I can half imagine the tone in which our Lord uttered this word. Word, with a holy glorying, a sense of relief, the bursting out of a heart that had been long shut up within the walls of anguish, finished. It was a conqueror's cry. It was uttered with a loud voice. There was nothing of anguish about it. There's no wailing in it. It is the cry of one who has completed a tremendous labor and is about to die in ere he utters his death prayer. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He shouts his life's last hymn in that one word finished. Dear friends, once more, take comfort from this. It is finished. For the redemption of Christ's church is perfected. There is not another penny to be paid for her full release. There is no mortgage upon Christ's inheritance. Those whom he bought with blood are forever clear of all charges paid for to the uttermost. There was a handwriting of ordinances against us, but Christ hath taken it away. He has nailed it to his cross. It is finished forever. All those overwhelming debts which would have sunk us to the lowest hell have been discharged, and they who believe in Christ may appear with boldness even before the throne of God. It is finished. What comfort there is in this glorious truth. And I think that we may say to the church of God that when Jesus said, it is finished, her ultimate triumph was secured finished. By that one word, he declared that he had broken the head of the old dragon. By his death, Jesus had routed the hosts of darkness and crushed the rising hopes of hell. We have a stern battle yet to fight. Nobody can tell what may await the church of God in years to come. It would be idle for us to attempt to prophesy, but it looks as if there were to be sterner times and darker days than we have ever yet known. But what of that? Our Lord has defeated the foe, and we have to fight with one who is already vanquished. The old serpent has been crushed, his head is bruised, and we now have to trample on him. We have this sure word of promise to encourage us. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Surely it is finished. Sounds like the trumpet of victory. Let us have faith to claim that victory through the blood of the Lamb, and let every Christian hear listening. Let the whole church of God as one mighty army take comfort from this 
dying word of the now risen and ever living Savior. It is finished. His church may rest perfectly satisfied that his work for her is fully accomplished. Amen. Bless the Lord. If that doesn't get your fire started, then your wood is ripped, as my old friend John Talley likes to say. Let's start with John 19 and read the passage of the crucifixion of Jesus, and then we'll work backwards to Exodus. John 19, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews! and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all. Jesus answered him, If it hadn't been given you from above, this is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, Take him away! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put it on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, 
Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and he held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial customs of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby. Exodus chapter 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, You are to set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Put the ark of the testimony there and screen off the ark with the curtain. Then bring in the table and lay out its arrangement. Also bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar for incense in front of the ark of the testimony. Put up the screen for the entrance to the tabernacle. Position the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Assemble the surrounding courtyard and hang the screen for the gate of the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it along with all its furnishing so that it will be holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and all of its utensils. Consecrate the altar so that it will be especially holy. Anoint the basin in its stand and consecrate it. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with the holy garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so that he can serve me as a priest. Have his sons come forward and clothe them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so that they may also serve me as priests. Their anointing will serve to inaugurate a permanent priesthood for them throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. The tabernacle was set up in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month. Moses set up the tabernacle. He laid its bases, positioned its supports, inserted its crossbars, and set up its pillars. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses took the testimony and placed it in the ark and attached the poles to the ark. 
He set the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, put up the curtain for the screen, and screened off the ark of the testimony, just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the curtain. He arranged the bread on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and set up the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses installed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant fragrant incense on it just as the Lord had commanded him. He put up the screen at the entrance to the tabernacle. He placed the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered the burnt offering and the grain offering on it just as the Lord had commanded him. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Moses, Aaron, and his sons washed their hands and feet from it. They washed whenever they came to the tent of meeting and approached the altar, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Next, Moses set up the surrounding courtyard for the tabernacle and the altar and hung a screen for the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites sat out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel, throughout all the stages of their journey. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. When a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. God's verdict is on the lips of a king. His mouth shall not give an unfair judgment. Honest balances and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his concern. Wicked behavior is detestable to kings since a throne is established through righteousness. Righteous lips are a king's delight, and he loves one who speaks honestly. A king's fury is a messenger of death, but a wise person appeases it. When a king's face lights up, there is life. His favor is like a cloud with spring rain. Get wisdom. How much better it is than gold, and get understanding. It is preferable to silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. The one who guards his way protects his life. Pride comes before destruction, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. The one who understands a matter finds success, and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. Anyone with a wise heart is called discerning, and pleasant speech increases learning. Insight is a fountain of life for its possessor, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. A worker's appetite works for him because his hunger urges him on. A worthless person digs up evil and his speech is like a scorching 
fire. A contrary person spreads conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. A violent person lures his neighbor, leading him on a path that is not good. The one who narrows his eyes is planning deceptions. The one who compresses his lips brings about evil. Gray hair is a glorious crown. It is found in the ways of righteousness. Patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the one who's who worships by the Spirit of God, boasts in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless." But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already a perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Brothers and sisters, I imagine you and I are more eagerly than normal waiting for our Savior Jesus to come from heaven. Maranatha, Lord, come soon. Lord, Please let this plague blow over and be dissipated. Bring rulers and leaders to repentance. Bring our nations to repentance. Bring our lands to repentance and heal our land and save us in mercy. In Jesus' name, God bless you, friends, and Godspeed.